Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. Hmm? And you see and hear how this fellow, Paul, has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There's danger. Not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Archimedes of the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. 
If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through the book of Acts, the story of the spreading of the gospel, the continuing of the mission of Jesus that he began. The story of the gospel is from the foundation of the world, God predestined his son to be the lamb slain for our sins. And so he came into the world at a time of the Roman Empire. you got to start somewhere. So he started at the time of the Roman Empire, which is the red countries surrounding the Mediterranean Ocean there on the map. And when the Son of God came, his word was made flesh in Bethlehem. He came to Israel, and there Christ ministered, did not journey very far from his homeland, came to the children of Abraham first. And then from there, the gospel spread across the Roman Empire. Our story today is one of Paul's journeys where he had left his homeland in Syria of Antioch, went through his birthplace in Tarsus of Cilicia into the region of the world we now call Turkey, into the westernmost part of Asia, called Asia at that time, a province, a Roman province, to the largest city in that province, the city of Ephesus. And there he spends considerable time, two years, teaching daily in a school. And so effective was his teaching that the gospel spread across Asia where everyone had heard the name and story of Jesus and the significance of the gospel that they should believe it. And so it impacted the economy of, of idol makers, which we will read about today in our story. Beginning with verse 18, it says, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. So that's a sign of a move of God, people repenting of their sins and confessing. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So these magic books and charms, talismans as it were, uh, were worth a lot of money. Uh, some say this was equivalent to 150 years wages. 150 workers a year, uh, what they could make in a year was 50,000 pieces of silver. A lot of money. Somebody said expensive. So the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. So when God's word grows, it has an impact. People will clean their act up. People will get rid of stuff, even though maybe they have a lot of money invested in that. I visited with Randy Ellis between services, and he 
shared how that after he got saved, he had thousands of dollars worth of classic rock albums. And he took them and shot them up. Busted them up with bullets. And then he burned the fragments. <laughs> Maybe the Lord hadn't led you to do that, but sometimes there's things that have a strong stronghold in our life. We need to get rid of it. And why give it to somebody else and let it be a stronghold in their life? International press caught wind of something years ago. I remember a millionaire in the Fort Worth area with James Robison busted up an idol in his driveway with a hammer worth tens of thousands of dollars. Um, it's a sign of conversion. People no longer count dear what they once held dear. And they're willing to destroy that which was a God in their life. In this community, we'll see that their God was their economy. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. He made it there. It was not in a way he thought he was going, and it related to his going to Jerusalem. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. So he sent a couple people, Timothy and Erastus. Anybody name their kids Erastus? He stayed in Asia some more, but he sent them on into Europe where he had ministered before. About that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Uh, Christianity at that time was called the way. Jesus declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. No one can know God except through me. You may have a form of godliness, you may have a religion, but you do not know God unless Jesus is the way. And so they called them the way. Verse 24, so here's the commotion. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together, from the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made by hands. I think there may be some truth in that, but this guy didn't have eyewitness testimony. He just had hearsay. And so this wasn't a legal thing he was doing. Paul in Athens is recorded in chapter 17 as saying we ought not to think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. But God, who once winked at ignorance, now calls men everywhere to turn to him, repent. So this guy's feeling an impact on his business because of the impact on the community by Paul's preaching. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now what's ironic is that did happen. 
The temple was destroyed and people no longer worship Diana, although it is believed that the principalities and powers that represent Diana just simply change horses. It is ironic years earlier that this community worshiped Artemis and the Romans said, from now on you'll worship Diana. So they just changed Artemis' name to Diana. No problem. Their economy wasn't impacted. Just change the name. Here's a picture of an image that is accredited to being Artemis or Diana. The Diana goddess herself is more attractive. She's a huntress, hunted with a, an arrow, allegedly a, a virgin, but yet Artemis, the goddess of fertility, has many breasts, as you see from this image, and many children coming out of her. A belief in this generated an economy built around this temple that was around the size of a football field. This is all that's left of it now, one column made from rock stacked on top of each other, hewn stones, and a map of what it was like uh, when it was there. It's now gone. Uh, they had built the thing on marshy ground so an earthquake couldn't destroy it, but through digging, they're able to find some stuff. Massive place this was. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's up there with the pyramids and the hanging gardens of Babylon, stuff like that. Here's what happened. This mob rises up and rushes into this amphitheater, which holds 25,000 people. When they heard this, verse 28, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, they were Europeans, Paul's travel companions, verse 30. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, you know, he wants to plead his case, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, that is, Asiarchs, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. So he had Roman officials that were his friends. Maybe they were believers as well. Speaking of Asiarchs, I would just like to mention a little bit about archaeology. This guy, Sir William, I think his middle name was Mitchell Ramsey. You can look him up. He lived from 1851 to 1939. He was not a believer. He was skeptical of the book of Acts. And on assignment, he went into Turkey and Greece and did excavation to, and research to see whether or not Luke's terms were right. Um, the evidence that convinced him of Acts' accuracy was so strong that he became a believer. And it was Luke's correct use of titles for local rulers throughout the Roman Empire, which are not necessarily used in literature, but were confirmed through architecture. In Acts, Luke writes of the proconsul, that is the Roman leaders in Cyprus, they were called proconsuls, praetors in Philippi, they were, uh, I think the King James calls them magistrates, but they were Roman officials, polytarchs in Thessalonica, these are unique terms, unique to these areas. They were unable to confirm these titles being used in Latin and Greek literature, but they were found in architecture at these specific communities. And here, these Asiarchs, which is translated in the New King James as officials of Asia, Asiarchs, Asiarchs. And then in Acts 28, we'll see a, a leader called a first man of Malta. So 
this guy became a believer through finding these terms used in architecture. little trivia there. All right, back to our text. So they pled with Paul not to go in. It's too dangerous. Verse 32, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's mobs for you. Anybody watch the news about Philadelphia? Craziness. Verse 33, And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, why did, what were the Jews? These were not believing Jews. What were they getting involved? Well, the heat was on them too because they didn't worship Diana either. They worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They worshiped God the Father. The question was over his son. So um, they were going to get persecuted too because of this, this thing. So Alexander wanted to get them, hey, it's not us. We're not the ones doing it. You know, we've been here for decades and we've been able to coexist and all that stuff. And their anti-Semitism rose up, you know, and silenced him. And for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. How pagan, how primitive. When the Houston Oilers went to the playoffs, there was an assembly at the Astrodome, 75,000 people, for a long time shouted, Love you, blue. Love you, blue. Love you, blue. Love you, blue. People with... You know, losing their voices. Love you, Blue, over their team. Yet if you question them individually, now why, why are you behaving like that? They wouldn't be able to tell you. It was just the mob mentality that hits us is part of human nature. Verse 35, when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? and of the image which fell down from Zeus. So he's relating to them what they believe. They believe this, I think it was a meteorite, that Zeus sent this down, and this was a representation of the goddess Artemis, now Diana. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples, nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. Let there be order. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. What a brilliant defense. Even though it wasn't, it was legal, although it may not have been completely true, he appealed to their egos, calmed them down, and said, we best not alert headquarters. You don't want Rome coming in here like they, like they have to Jerusalem. You know, we've got some order here. Let's go through the courts. If you got charges, let's do it legally. I really think when 
facing persecution, if we're able to defend ourselves legally, we must do it. We must do it. And there are ministries that, that exist that do that today, that help defend us, our rights as citizens of the United States. Do it. Don't just accept persecution. Sometimes you don't have a choice, and you do have to accept it. But the bottom line is, as much as depends upon you, walk in peaceableness with all men. And if you're able to legally to, to be defended, do it. Do it. And here Paul was, this was a big change for Paul, wasn't it? That a Roman official would come to his defense and calm down 25,000 people. It's, it's almost miraculous, really. It is miraculous. There's generally that many people that are angry, man. It's, it's nuts. So a good thing he stayed out of the picture, although he wanted an opportunity to preach to that many people. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us in such a way that our thinking would be aligned with yours. Your thoughts are not our thoughts, and your ways are not our ways, but your ways are higher, your thoughts are higher. Lord, lift up our thinking. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we spoke from the first few verses of this chapter on the subject, are you empowered by the Spirit? Are you being empowered by the Holy Spirit? This reality, like the wind in a sail of a ship that is moving forward, so the wind of God desires to empower us to do the will of God. And if we're going to continue Jesus' ministry, we need the fullness of the Spirit. Who would agree? Today's topic aligns itself with that beautifully. It's another question. Is God's word prevailing in your life? Is God's spirit empowering you? And is his word prevailing in your life? Can we say prevail? It means to lead. It means to dominate. It means to govern. It means to rule, to win, to prevail. Verse 20 is the where we're drawing this title from, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, of course, there's effects of this that are positive and not so positive that we'll see in a minute. Other occasions in Acts, similar expressions were made about the word of God. In Acts 6, 7, it says the word of God continued to increase. Can we say increase? And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 12, 24 says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Can we say multiply? And we know this refers to the number of believers, but it also refers to the, the amount of influence that the word of God is having in a community. And I believe also the amount of influence the word of God is having in our life. In your life, in my life, in our life, is the word of God continuing to increase? And is his word prevailing mightily? Do we respond to the word like nature does? My dad preached a sermon years ago called Products of the Word, and this was the insight that he shared. That everything God made, he spoke into existence except man. He made man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So man has the power to choose when it comes to responding to God's word. But everything else created by God's word obeys his word. 
when Jesus told the disciples to cast your net on the other side of the boat, the nets got so full of fish that they almost broke. The fish responded to the word quickly. My dad says, every fish in the Sea of Galilee tried to get into that net. He's, he's an orator. Whereas he almost had to fuss with the disciples to do it. You know, Master, we fished all night. Nevertheless, at your word, you told us to cast in the nets. We'll throw in a net. So here this half-hearted obedience created this huge influx. What if they had obeyed wholeheartedly and quickly like the fish did? What kind of greater blessing would they have? Is our response to the word in such a way that the word is having a full impact in our lives? It did in Ephesus. When God's word prevails, we can expect submission from believers. We're quick to submit to the word. In this community, many who believe came confessing and telling their deeds. They responded to the word that's growing. And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the total of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. That's, that, that's some retirement accounts for a bunch of folks gone up in smoke. Why? God's word is more important than my economy. Wow. We can also expect when God's word prevails to expect opposition from unbelievers. People are wide open channels for the enemy, may harass you because your decision to follow Jesus is making them uncomfortable, becoming more and more unpopular to use the name of Jesus. You can talk about Muhammad and Buddha, but when it comes to Yeshua HaMashiach, his name is the one they use when they curse but they want it expunged from the marketplace. Why? Because he has an impact on their lives. It's all about not wanting the word of God to prevail. So when God's word was prevailing, what happens as a result? A great commotion arises about the way. When God's word prevails, no, the economy can be impacted. In the past great awakenings, the first great awakening, the bars shut down. Bar owners went broke. How unfair. When you worship the almighty dollar, that is unthinkable that your business would go belly up and you would go bankrupt. Related, that can't be God. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. You got to keep in mind that is an eternal promise. Amen? You may be fired because you're a believer. Your economy will be impacted. So here these unbelieving silversmiths are furious. Hey, I didn't sign up for this. You guys can get baptized if you want. You can burn up your idols if you want, but leave my business alone. You're, you're harming us. This is what our community is all about. You're wrecking our culture. Christianity is often accused of that, destroying culture. In reality, it destroys things in cultures that need to be destroyed, like the sacrificing of children and stuff like that. When God's word prevails in your life, know that your life could be endangered. Paul's was. The crowd got so upset, 
if, if our country goes through a depression and Christianity gets blamed, watch out. They'll be setting our churches on fire, everything else, because even though our money says in God, we trust on it. It's there for a reason because people don't trust in God. But when things like that happen, remember, the word of God will always prevail in the long run. That word will be the final word. The word of God is final. Is, does God's word have the final say in my life, in your life, and in our life? Or are we yes, but people? Yes, I know the Bible says that, but my case is different. Yes, but I'll get forgiveness later. Don't do that. You'll be sorry. And finally, God's word prevails, and when it prevails, our hope remains in the one who's able to deliver us. Paul is referring to some of his hard times he experienced in this part of the world when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will deliver us. Sometimes our opposition in life is not the devil, it's God. It's his word that is in our face, the call to obey and to hold to his values. You may not like it, but you know what? To live is Christ. To die is gain. My selfish desires want to prevail. And I have a decision to make every day. Lord, I want your word to, to prevail. You heard the story of the guy that prayed one day. He said, Lord, I thank you that I haven't cursed today. I haven't lusted today. I haven't gossiped today. I haven't slandered today. I haven't sinned today, but now I'm going to get out of bed and I need your help. He needed God's word to prevail. To prevail. So in conclusion, we are called to be empowered by the Spirit. And we are called to let God's word prevail in our life. It may not be popular, God's word prevailing in your life. You could be mocked in the marketplace. But like Paul told the Corinthians, his hope is in the Lord. The Lord is able to deliver us. Remember the three Hebrew children were threatened by Nebuchadnezzar. God's word in their life was prevailing, but it was going to cause them some pain. They were not going to worship the king as a god. They were not going to bow down before an image. But they were threatened with being thrown in a furnace. He said, if what you say is true, we are not going to bow. Our God is able to deliver us, but we are not going to bow. If he doesn't deliver us, we are not going to bow. 
God's word prevailed, they prevailed, and in their case, they were uh, delivered. There's other cases where people faced death and were not delivered. They were martyred. But God's word prevailed in their life, in Paul's life. As we read this story, I'm so impacted by the faith of these believers willing to suffer so that the cause of Christ can go forward. If Christ's ministry is going to continue in our generation, God's word must prevail. Where are you with the word of God? Are you wrestling with his word? Are you rebelling against his word? Are you resisting his will? Are you being a lawyer in the situation and trying to water down his will, trying to dodge it, trying to tell God no. He will have the final say. So please, be like those fish and jump in that net. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would have impact on our life and in our community. Lord, we want Granberry to know you. But Lord, we want to know you ourselves. We want your word to prevail in our school system, on our jobs, but also in our church and in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods and in our community. Lord, we want to do your will. Help us, Lord be empowered by your spirit to say yes to your will even though it may hurt even though we may want to scream and run Lord we surrender to the cross the finished work that you did for us that we might follow you in Jesus name Amen as we worship the Lord remember we live in a time of people wanting to add to God's word which is a way of dodging the issue or take away from God's word, which is a way of dodging the issue. We would never, as believers, denounce the Bible, but what about that sentence that is messing with your mind? Let him prevail. You will be rewarded. You're the God of his city. You're the king of his people.